The Vampire Movie Minute podcast covers vampire movies five minutes at a time. Join Dr. Chris and Scott as we talk about the ins and outs and intricacies, as well as the fine little details that you might have missed in some of your favorite vampire movies. From The Lost Boys to Life Force, Once Bitten, Vampire Hunter D, What We Do in the Shadows, Dracula 79, Blade, My Best Friend is a Vampire, Interview with the Vampire, and so many more. Episodes come out bi-weekly, anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes. We've had various celebrities on for various vampire movies that we have covered. Join us as part of the Movie by Minutes Network on the Vampire Movie Minute Podcast and learn some details about your favorite creatures of the night. Well, hello, Eric Pierpoint. You may recognize me as George Francisco from Alien Nation. I just want to let you know and give a shout out to the Dead TV Podcast. Tune in. Have a great time. Out of this world Tuesdays, invade Fox. Prepare yourself for the end of the world. It's coming for you. Alien Nation, Millennium Tuesday. Welcome to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to any and all science fiction, fantasy, horror, film, made-for-TV movies, miniseries, or television shows, or animation on the Radio Horror Network. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Zedica. And we are in the middle of July... Recording an episode about the millennium. <laughs> so on a, you, on, and it's a New Year's episode too. It's kind of a mostly a New Year's episode, even though there's Christmas trees mentioned. Uh, it is a New Year's Day, New Year's Eve themed uh, made-for-TV movie in the Alien Nation saga. Definitely, and uh, it, it we actually do see the ticking of the clock over to the new millennium, you know, year two thousand strikes. So, Doctor Chris, where were you uh, uh, when two thousand hit? Okay, this is going to be kind of embarrassing. <laughs> okay, hey. I yeah. was, um, I, uh, one of two things happened on uh, 19, December 31st, 1999. Um, I was jobless at the time. I was living on my own with a roommate, uh, kind of doing like day jobs here and there. And I had been given directions to a party, but um, either I was given bad directions to this party um, as a joke or... The, I had uh, no GPS back then, no MapQuest, things like that. <laughs> so yeah. I found the wrong apartment, possibly. So I don't know. Um, so that's how I spent my 1999 crossing over into the year 2000. That sounds extremely boring. <laughs> it was horrible. Uh, friends of mine said, oh, you should have come to our party. Um, after New Year's hit, we turned on the Sci-Fi Channel and watched the Star Trek The Next Generation Marathon. <laughs> oh, nice. Which would have been a lot better, but um, alas, again, I came home very much, you know, sad and that I didn't find this party. Again, I didn't have, there was no MapQuest at the time, and obviously there was, I didn't, there was no GPS in 1999. I don't know how people found things. Uh, <laughs> I really you know, don't I, know how people found anything before GPS. <laughs> we used maps a lot, you know. Um, you, you would basically look them up and then write down the directions and then, you know, put in little marks. Like, if you if you go past this, you've gone too far, turn around, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was all by paper. It was, you know, in two thousand five, my ex wife and I took a little road trip up to New Jersey, and we made a bunch of stops along the way. And she had papers upon papers of stuff printed out from MapQuest, uh, showing the directions of like what exit to get off of to find like all these various comic book stores we went on a little tour of. Um, 
and uh, other things along the way. We're going up to see like all the stuff that Kevin Smith had filmed uh, Clark's at, and nice. uh, yeah, but we had like paperwork upon paperwork of stuff or whatever to to use as our directions from one place to the next one. So we knew exactly yeah. where to go from like getting leaving one place to go to the next one, which was really convenient. So. Uh, my millennium, I actually spent it at Universal Studios Hollywood. Oh, wow, that sounds much better than mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was watching Berlin on stage uh, when the clock ticked over, and because it was a party atmosphere, they played Prince's 1999, like, constantly. Wow. <laughs> uh, uh, but it was a fun night. So... Uh... This is the third of the five Alienation movies. Do you have the plot yes. synopsis for us? I do. All right. Uh, produced 1996. It's December 1999, and as the end of the millennium approaches, people are attempting to find spiritual enlightenment. However, a few people want to skip all the work that it entails. A holy tectonese relic in the hands of a heretic is giving them a shortcut, but it's not quite as easily controlled as she says. And this is a follow-up from a previous episode. Uh, do you remember what episode this was? Uh, the episode with the relic. Uh, which one was it? I'll, I'll find it. Um, it opens, but every time you had, open it up, it makes the Star Wars lightsaber sound effect. <laughs> it does. Well, although that that's just basically, a, what was that, a fluorescent tube? Right, but still... Right. I mean, that is always going to be synonymous with Star Wars. And yes, this was made by Fox, and it was on the Fox network, and Star Wars was, you know, was, was distributed by Fox. Um, so maybe they just had access to the, to the Lucas um, archive, you know, Lucasfilm archive, uh, Industrial Light and Magic and sound effects and stuff. That is my assumption for why, whenever they open it up to look into the portal, it's, uh, you know, Yeah, <laughs> that sound effect was very evident. Completely. Uh, anyway, I I I can't pull up the exact uh, episode uh, name for the one with the relic. But basically, in that episode, if you opened up the relic box wrong, you'd get crispy fried. Mm, yeah, and that did that is what happened because uh uh Matt calls the guy when they go into the flashback uh, crispy Charlie. Yes. Yeah. Um, and there... we also get some we also get some information that flashes back to the last episode of Alienation where um Matt doesn't pass his Detective Two tests, but yet George did. So George is technically his superior officer. And uh we get a little bit of a poke from George about that right in the beginning of this uh movie. Yes, Mr. Zeneca, but Matt's right. That was made by Asians and blacks and two women. What do they know? That was very weird of him to say. That too. was very racist, but I have heard some rumbling rumors about the actor who plays Matt is um, not too far oh. off from that, possibly. Oh, no, 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 don't say that. Yeah. Oh, That's, somebody made that comment on one of our posts. Or they made it. Um, they made it on a, a post that I made somewhere, saying, um, you know, you're never gonna want to have what's his name who plays uh, Gary Graham on the show. And I'm like, no. Are you sure he didn't Aww. say it out of context? Are you sure maybe he said it one time and he's recanted it, saying he's changed and different and things are, you know. 
I mean, he was on a very high-profile show that was very uh, about diversity and things like that. So I, I don't know. I, I didn't like hearing that. So I, I, I never really followed up to find out to be true. So okay, um, well, that would be disappointing if so. Right. Um. But uh, I digress. That was kind of out of left field for Matt to say, considering who he's, uh, you know, in love with now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and Kathy nice. and him seem to have a very good relationship going on in this uh, in this movie. That's all she needed was a little mat. I mean, they they're 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 touchy, they're they're cuddly, they kiss each other. You know, I mean, he they profess their love to each other, so they're you know they're completely into each other's lives, um, as couples are. Uh, you know, I'm I I I have something kind of like that. You know, I have something, I have something like that right now. So and 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 I. I I can do that like the way with the way Matt is, you know, when she comes into the room. Oh, nice. Um, so at the beginning of the episode, we have a monster that kills uh, this guy, Jason, and it's like something out of hentai as its tentacles. And it's all we really ever see is like tentacles, tentacles wrapping themselves around people, if you haven't noticed. Well, uh, we do see a little bit more towards the end, the next time that we observe the beast. And it kind of looks like an Audrey too, right. from Little Shop of Horrors. A little bit. Um, yeah, the the whole premise of this movie is that this this relic uh, creates an energy field around someone that basically does a virtual landscape around them. It takes the existing topography and then overlays some sort of alien planet or meteor, what whatnot. However, because it is just a vision, it's kind of like taking hallucinogens where. You know, your emotional state will guide how good or how bad the trip is. Mm. So, you know, the the cult leader is basically using this, you know, LSD-like object to control a group of people, which is kind of tried and true for cults, yes. you know, from the 1970s on. And it's reminded me of several cults that come to mind. Um, on Lois and uh, Superman and Lois, the, uh, the sorry... On the TV series currently, Superman and Lois, in season two, they deal with a cult um, about a woman who wants people to kill themselves in order to uh, combine with their other half. And, uh, you know, at first Lois writes it up as she's crazy and she's getting people to commit suicide. Her sister got involved with the cult and gave everything away to her. But the, the whole thing about the cult itself was really, really creepy and weird. But these cults are like this. They force you to, like, give up everything about who you are in order to join them. Um, I mean, this is what people call, you know, t talk about with, with regards to, like, Scientology mm -hmm. and Tom Cruise and all of his nuttiness. Yeah, it, what a cult does is that um, very often they will do what's called love bombing. Right. Where, where the cult leader especially and the members of the cult will just bestow love and adoration on the newcomers so that you know, they feel welcomed within the group, you know, so it's like instant group connection. And in the beginning of this movie, we see how Buck is striving for that connection. He's going to the shrine, which promises this enlightenment eventually, you know, and that's what enlightenment is. It is an eventuality, you know, learning about yourself to the march of death. And um, it takes a lot of patience to know thyself truly that deeply. Buck is striving to learn about himself and also to even feel that he's connected with this earth. He feels like a foreigner, he, and he, he says he'll always feel that way. But 
when he meets the cult leader Jennifer, oh boy, you know, it, it, she's beautiful. She's definitely beautiful. I think you'd fall for her. Yeah, she's a uh, she is she's very attractive. Um, yeah. When, when we get to the um, end, when we get to the end with walking the plank, I'll I'll I'll, I'll mention to you what it reminds me of from a certain uh, <laughs> uh, movie from 1989. Sure, uh, sure. The, uh, the the pan across the different magazines kind of remind me of the magazines at the time in, in 1999, uh, U.S. News, Time, Newsweek, Life magazine, talking about like the year 2000 about to be upon us. Of course, with a little less of the aliens on there because we didn't get visited by aliens. Um, mm-hmm. But the uh, the end uh, the end is coming. Woman screaming out in the police station is very funny. She mentions that first it's the barcodes, then it's the low fat food. <laughs> Right yeah, after that he, happens, I thought somebody at- I thought maybe somebody attacked a police station because the microwave explodes, but it's Matt's burrito. <laughs> yeah, Matt's burrito explodes. There's nutballs just kind of, you know, just taking over the police station because there's so many of them being being put through the system here. You know, people are scr- screaming that it's the end of the world and whatnot. And you know, when the year 2000 hit, I don't remember that type of you know overall panic and religious fervor mm. I, I did not you know so this was made in 1996 so predicting that type of deeply uh, disturbing people you know where people are committing suicide all the time you know getting closer to the millennium date and you know i don't remember it being like that bad mm. um, this is definitely an over dramatization a little bit um i thought I remember people committing suicide. I don't remember on this scale, though. Definitely some did, but not like... Like, this police force is so stretched that when they actually have something serious to try to stop the cult leader, and they try to call for backup, there's no backup left. Yeah, you know? because it's So not... every single cop was on the beat dealing with something, and that police station had... I, I don't know if they were cosplayers or just, you know, kooks trying to be cult leaders as well, but there was a lot of costumed people in in the police station, and I think they were all supposed to be, like, a, of a religious slant. George has a, uh, like, a touchpad that he's using, kind of like, but it's his giant monitor computer screen, so it's less of a touchpad, but, you know. Yeah, it was acting like a touch touchscreen. Definitely. What's the name of the cult leader? The hot woman that Buck wants to... Jennifer. Jennifer. And Jennifer is played by Carrie Keen, um, who I... The only thing I had recognized her from was um, just, like, a bit parts here and there. She was on Castle. I, I, for some reason, that had popped in my head, and sure enough, it was true. Um, but uh, the I, I, she's really the only, like, you know, kind of, like new character to the show uh, to the to for the movie that lasts to the very end i mean jason the beginning you know with the scorpion talk and he's on the roof and, mm-hmm. and what happens to him isn't as memorable as uh david faustino who plays the alien in my brother is an alien and he was <laughs> buck on married with children and mako on the legend of Korra. So two incredibly high-profile things, but let's face it: for the rest of his life, he will always be known as Buck. Uh, sorry, Bud Bundy on Married with Children. And I, as soon as I saw him in that, I was like, "Oh my God, it's Bud!" <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Like they do this like parody parody show, and I looked at his face. And I'm like, "What? That that can't be him." That can't. And then I had to look it up on IMDb. It's like, "Yeah, that's him. That's Bud Bundy." 
I did love the fact that after George points out that how he did pass the detective's test, Matt says that he has been walking the beat since George was a slave flying around Uranus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was too funny. And George has a George has a bit of a credit card problem, it seems, but I guess he's entitled to it because he's the uh, he's the major breadwinner of the house and. He makes, I mean, after I guess he paid his taxes, he, he makes enough money to buy what he wants. But Susan has a bit of a problem with it as uh, he's buying things that he's not using, like a treadmill. Um, and uh, they're trying to teach a lesson to Emily who wants to buy a synthesizer to be in a band with a guy that she likes from school. They, uh, this somebody who's obviously using uh, the Tatanese culture to you know, sleep with them. How he survived if he slept with any Tatanese hormonal female is beyond me, but sure enough, yeah, you you, you do you, buddy, because Matt got pretty beat up by Kathy, and he had to take a class in order to have sex with her. I can't imagine yeah. a teenager knows how to control his own hormones, <laughs> let alone the hormones of a teenage Tatanese girl who's twice his strength. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Like, he... He's definitely one of those guys that is so into the newcomers that he is just dove in and, and absorbed all the knowledge. Right. He says that he's actually watched the videos on how, you know, and that he can. So considering that he has a tattoo on his back of Tectonese spots, you know, like the male patterns, I, I think he's pretty much into newcomers. And him, his conversation that breaks Emily's heart. Oh, it's so sad to see. The conversation that she overhears that he's going to bed the slag before nightfall, it's like, oh, no, dude, you just ruined that. And how could you be so insensitive if you really enjoy newcomer culture? This is this is not cool, man. And, uh, yeah, yeah, he was good up until that point. Yeah, Randy. I just, I, mm -hmm. it's like, why do they have to constantly write guys to be like this? Why couldn't he have just been like, you know, he like tried to come on to her, but then she like pushes him away and then he's like, okay, let's just date and wait and that'd be it. We didn't need like the drama of him being just like a guy who wanted to like, it'd be like any typical high school guy just trying to get in her pants. Yeah. Yeah. It just, you know, I mean, it just. You know, she's with her friend. She sees this guy. It's just they didn't need to do it, but it was like if this had this is a typical sitcom plot line where like the hot guy that she wants to you know be with you know and and make out with to 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 just yeah, do that is not a good possibly, guy. Possibly is doing this for a bet or something. You know, it's it's a very clear trope. Yep, it's it's it's. It but I do think her. that he's actually into newcomers. Oh, yeah. No, I, I totally get it. Um, you know, some newcomers are kind of hot. They're like some kind of spotted, you know, exotic creature thing. I mean, all of Jennifer's followers are completely head over heels in love with her. Correct. Um, you know, and that scam that they pull... And also, I think it's just a matter of what actress and, act and actor that you hire to play these newcomers are going to look hot in the, the spotted makeup. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I notice you don't see a lot of, like, overweight newcomers. No, I mean... I you mean, see older ones, yes. You see ones that look like they're definitely, like, as old as, like, our grandparents. But you don't see a lot of, like, grossly overweight a, or 
you know there was somebody... a few um there's a few overseers that definitely had a, a bigger frame to them true but not any of the characters like our main cast would interact with or would want to like you know set up potential um uh, some type of sexual storyline, kind of like Silk Stockings yeah. for a detective story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Silk Stockings was a, a TV series on USA where it was uh, two detectives investigating crimes of passion. And, of course, the crimes of passion were always people that were smoking hot. <laughs> 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 no body fat whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. They look good uh, silhouette naked or they look good in panties and bras. <laughs> <laughs> or jock or uh, or uh, whatever a guy would wear speedos or shorts, you know what I mean? Or at least under the sheets yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Buck is immediately smitten with her, like yeah. immediately, like just upon first viewing of Jennifer, he is enthralled by her. Correct. You know, and so when Jennifer invites him to the group and then uh, basically tells him. That uh, oh no no payment is needed you know, he you know someone tries giving them their pink slip to their car and she says no not necessary and then at the very end of the meeting the assistant you know Calabas says that you know, oh well, the the high costs of running this you know group and whatnot she doesn't want to say but I don't, I need to protect her you know so I'll pass around the donation basket and so just sweeps the the audience of all of their money and like credit cards and like just pouring money you know someone with that type of charisma and yet doing this no I don't want your money but give me the money no I don't want your money yeah <laughs> classic cult leader classic have you ever gotten wrapped up in a cult no, although it's been said that I could start a cult if I wanted to. Uh, what would the cult be about? Sexy parties. <laughs> I mean, that's just your typical Tuesday night when you were running the it club. It is, it is. I would just have to put a veneer of meaning and promise on it, and that's that's all that would be necessary there. But I won't do that because that is kind of shady and, and wrong. I got to point out that uh, when Randy first shows up, he looks like Vanilla Ice. Oh, just because he's wearing the colorful shirt? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the video call Emily has to her dad, is like, or no, to mom while she's in the marketing meeting in 1999 is pretty funny. We take that for granted, doing that every day nowadays. True, true. Matt and even in, this, even in the show, like video calls weren't actually a thing in 1996. Like this was a forward-looking type of um attitude like in 1999 we're gonna have video calls you know the video calls didn't actually arrive till much much later matt's hair looks so much better in this movie oh yes yes you like his hairstyle in this one i like it better than it has been let me tell you that mullet was not working for me <laughs> um, oh he's got kathy cleaning him up apparently so dating uh dating a tatanese woman is uh doing wonders for him um yeah. i i i it just I gotta point it, out that happiness is, does wonders for him. She acts very differently in the last three movies compared to the TV show, where she was still very timid. Um, I think the actress changed her performance a lot, and her movement and body language is less uh, foreign alien. You know what I mean? 
Oh, so she's kind of growing into her role as Kathy? Yeah, I feel I really feel like she's a lot more fluid in this movie. You know what I mean? The way she talks and she moves around Matt and things like that. And maybe that's because they're a couple now, so she feels like she can finally just let herself go. You know what I mean? She wants to be touched by him. You know, she wants to touch him. You know, because yeah. this is what humans enjoy. Tatanese are a little less touchy-feely. Um, but... Uh, I, I, I just it's just something I observed in the last couple of movies that she seems a little bit more fluid the way she acts. She's not as stiff or rigid. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Did you happen to catch the name of the two news anchors? <laughs> oh no, I didn't. <laughs> Tori Spelling and George Stephanopoulos. <laughs> we get the lightsaber sound effect right after uh, 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 Matt calls him cr- uh, Charcoal Charlie. That's what he calls him. Charcoal Charlie sounds somewhat like an offensive name for black people, but I digress. It honestly sounds like a uh, garbage pail kid trading card. It does. And, uh, you know, it was, it, the body was burned to a blackened crisp. So right. charcoal does, uh, is a good moniker there. Matt and his captain go through the portal with George, and the captain sees what Tatanese is like, and then he gets it in his head that they could turn this into the big, biggest, bigger than the Star Tours at Disney World. And Kathy is not having it. <laughs> no, no, no. Like she says... You know, to, trivia, to trivialize newcomer religious practices so you can make a buck, and she stormed out of the room. It's like, that's Kathy. Oh. Uh, yeah. I just want to point out to uh, Miss, Miss Thing and her attitude, we did have Godland. It was here in, in New England. There was this little area up in Connecticut off of 84 that's literally like Godland Christian theme park. And I think most of it, is been developed over into parking lot spaces for the car dealership, but there's still apparently a large section of the religious iconography and artifacts and statues about in another part of it um, that you could, like, you know, uh, I mean, if there's no do not trespass sign up there, you could probably go check out. But the last time I saw any footage of it or any photos of it were, like, back in 2006, and there were, like, decapitated statues and wings missing, uh, angels missing their wings and bent-over crosses and just, it, you know, it had been uh, abandoned for a while, so Earth had basically taken back over of it. But there was still mm-hmm. a lot of it up there for this, like, Christian theme park. You know, when we were driving through Tennessee, because uh, we had intentions to stop by Dollywood, which we did, and... The kind of themed, you know, tourist attraction-y things around Dollywood, and there was a good portion of them that kind of had a Christian slant, if not outward, outrightly Christian. There was a Last Supper dinner theater. I huh. thought that was really distasteful. <laughs> Interesting. By the way, I wanted to point out, because of, um, the, uh, because of Randy's obsession with... Uh, Hot alien chicks. Uh, but he would Jason Bayer, who plays him, would go on to play Max Evans for 61 episodes of the original Roswell TV show. Ooh. And he was um, uh, Zorel, Supergirl's father on Supergirl, the TV series. Aliens everywhere. Yeah, he's got a thing for alien chicks. <laughs> because his wife on that show was Terry Hatcher. No, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, oh. I'm sorry. No, um, Terry Hatcher played. Uh, Kevin Sorbo's wife on Supergirl. They were the aunt and uncle of uh, Supergirl. Uh, the parent was um, was our our um, uh, Jason Bayer. The mother was Erica Durancy, who, if you know, played Lois Lane on Smallville. 
very hot Lois Lane. Beautiful. Just, oh, <laughs> my God. Seriously, a lot of people say she's the best Lois Lane ever. <laughs> Just the sex appeal and the spunk and the attitude. Perfect. <laughs> um, she'd do anything to get a story, including being a stripper in two episodes. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, this was like at the time of like Maxim magazine and you know whatever the other men's magazines were that would have like the hot TV stars on their covers every five minutes, but not mm-hmm. nude. Kind of the the chant slogan that this cult uses. They they basically put their hand to their forehead and say, "The mind's eye, infinite, unlimited. Once it is truly open, a new consciousness." And then they kind of open their palm like they're opening their eye. And they're saying it all in tandem, chanting. They're wearing special, like, orange robes. Like, all of these things to get the person out of their ordinary, everyday life and into the life of this cult member. Mm-hmm. Buck is enthralled. He's all in. So, like, the last half of this movie is George and Susan are word where about where buck is because he's not coming home he's not sleeping he's basically uh sold all his high-priced you know goods in his room so they're extremely worried about him and george is working on this case for the cult and to discover that buck is actually in the cult it was oh you know he is just off the rocker trying to get other cops to join and give him back up on this because this is going to be serious mm. this is suicide cult time indeed yeah, so here's the, the scam. You know, the the box shows you this vision, and it's kind of like an LSD trip. You're still standing where you're standing. All of the perils around you look like cliffs or, or pits or, you know, lava, etc. Uh, you get this vision. You're traveling in this kind of, you know, vision state, you know, alien um, surroundings. The feeling that it gives you is one of such contentment and peace, being that your your mind has just got blown, you know, which a lot of cults back in the 1970s, 1980s, did the whole feeding their members LSD simply for that purpose. Uh, so everyone is, like, willing to give over their entire life savings, all the money that they that they have in order to get to the next level, and then the next level, and then the next level. Buck doesn't have a lot, but he gives everything that he can. And we find out that Jennifer has kidnapped someone that goes to her same dentist that has pretty much similar, almost identical dental records. And then she's going to suicide cult the entire cult of hers by making them walk off a cliff. And she's going to set the entire thing on fire burning this innocent woman who has had dental work in order to recreate the exact dental work that Jennifer has. So she's basically using someone to fake her own death and all of the money that she gets from the people that gave their life savings, she's buying a piece of property in the Sierra Nevadas. This is like total cult playbook stuff. Mm. You know, maybe not the faking your own death part, but yeah, it's, it's within the wheelhouse. And this is a horrible thing that needs to be stopped. And um, it ends up actually stopping. You know, George was in time. Matt is the one that smashes the relic and closes the vision. Yeah, Matt comes to save the day after uh, George is about to lose his son. um, Because he doesn't see what they're seeing. He sees just an empty warehouse and a plank. 
Uh, and this is like this is like a leap of faith thing from um, the the Grail book by uh, Henry yeah. uh, Jones, Indiana Jones's father, in the third mm-hmm. Indiana Jones movie, with the whole like you know Indy has to take the walk of the leap of faith, and yeah. and you know it's did the plaque did the plank appear? No, it was always there, but it was an optical illusion. That's why I threw the sand on it afterwards to make sure he could find it on the way back. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> don't have to go through that again, coming back with the grill or whatever, you know, obviously with uh, with Elsa. So. <laughs> so so while Jennifer is in this vision with them, she knows that the plank is there. So she walks across it and says that she's floating, you know, she can walk on air. And then she asks all the members to take a leap of faith after she kicks the plank away from her. So she knows that they're going to fall to their death because she's arranged for this whole suicide cult thing so then she can start anew, completely wipe the slate off of everything, killing both all of her members and her assistants at the same time. So she leaves scot-free. But she doesn't because at the very end, it was her uh, that ends up falling to her death from being just startled by some imaginary lightning. I do like in this movie how the um, the little bits with Albert Einstein, those were very sweet. You know, Albert is, of course, one of my favorite characters. The, he has these gardens up on the roof of the police station that he's growing orange trees and, and fruits and vegetables of all sorts. And he said to Matt that the seeds we plant in this millennium will blossom in the next. And he was very welcoming and grateful of this moment in human history where the clock is ticking over to a next millennium. And I thought that was very sweet. I think in the last uh, two episodes, so this one and the last one, I think the writers may have forgotten that they married off Albert because we haven't seen his girlfriend since the, they got married the first movie. <laughs> True. I, I don't think she was in this episode, in this movie at all. No, she wasn't. She wasn't in the last one either. Ah, okay. That's why I'm just like, hey, what happened to Albert's... Uh... <laughs> Coworker, well, the girl, the, the woman he married. Um, but uh, I digress. Maybe she'll show up in the next one. It was just kind of funny to point out, considering that, yeah, she, you know. Uh, she, Albert didn't really have a, a true storyline. He just had a couple moments. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe that's what it is. Um, so this is also the the first movie to not uh, have like a, a, a novel kind of tie into it, because... Um, the Alienation film from 1989 uh, had a book written by Alan Dean Foster, and then uh, Dark Horizon had a book, and Body and Soul had a book, um, mm. but this was the first one to not do that. Um, they would eventually skip ahead to uh, Crossblood, which was kind of like the last movie uh, we will get to what happens in that film, um, and the kind of an epilogue to the last film, too, because it involves Matt and Kathy. Okay. Um, something that we've already seen before, uh, and of course, uh, they, uh, what's they, there is a book that has been seen in the background, and it's kind of a blink when you miss it, but it's in a couple of these novels. They said that there's a book called Slag Like Me. It's it's a par it's it's almost a parody or an allusion to the novel Black Like Me. Ah. Which is a very famous novel. I also noticed about um. A little while into the into the movie, there's a movie poster in the background for Rambo Six. Oh my God! And right now we're at Rambo Five. Yes, <laughs> we'll never hopefully do another Rambo movie because 
Honestly, after the fourth one, I was like, that's a, that's a satisfying conclusion. He walks home to his dad's house. The end. No, we do Ramble 5 where this family he's taking care of, this girl goes to Mexico, and she's, like, traded into slavery, and Ramble's beaten to death, and everyone comes after him. And I'm like, what? No! It's just terrible. Like, it's just bad things happen to good people in that movie, and, like, it, it, it just... Oh, it was so disappointed in The Last Blood. I hated it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way... Rambo, period, the fourth film, ended. It, it, I thought it ended the series perfectly, but we did not need The Last Blood. It's such a downer film when you watch it. <laughs> if you want to be disappointed in the in the, uh, the horrors of humanity and how people are treated, especially women, uh, don't watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not really big into the Rambo franchise, so I think I'm safe there. <laughs> okay, uh, but in Rambo 4 alone, Mr. Zeneca, Rambo kills 238 people himself. But they're all bad. <laughs> and that makes it okay? <laughs> yes, this is why the Burmese government has a warrant out for Sylvester Stallone's um, uh, uh, arrest. He can never go back to Thailand. <laughs> wow. Yeah, not even kidding. Uh, when that movie came out, they put out an arrest warrant for his, uh, a warrant for his arrest and wanted him expedited to, uh, to Thailand. And the government, I think, pretty much ignored it because the, the, the Burmese government's a... a, a, a quite a piece of work let's just say okay <laughs> yeah um so we have our traditional like happy new year and kathy and matt kiss each other on new year's which is nice kathy and matt look fantastic too by the way she looks beautiful in her dress i mean god i think this is the first time we've ever seen matt in a tux before um you know he's usually dressed like a slob so looks good yeah Everyone had it, it. The movie leaves on a very positive note. Everyone is having a good time celebrating the new year and celebrating new beginnings. Indeed. That's pretty much all the notes I have for this episode. Yeah. It was a very straightforward episode, not as complicated as the last two, I think. Yeah, we didn't actually get uh, a lot of like B story or C story going. This was mainly just one story that branched off in the very beginning from Emily two had a places. bit of a plot line with the guy that sh that wanted to basically rape her so I mean that I, was not much <laughs> I, okay that's a, a mild B story that's a would be you're right the, a mild B story <laughs> mild you know because that that was just you know a motivator for the spending of the money on the visa card and and saying how you know they need to tighten up their their spending habits um, I don't really consider that so much a B plot line because there was really no plot. It was, you know, Emily had a tiny bit of one, but it's it wasn't enough to for me to say that that was an entire B storyline. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was just her little plot. I mean, let's face it, Emily is not exactly a main enough character to have her own plot line. Susan, yes. George, absolutely. Um, Matt and Kathy. Buck, yes. I mean, Buck has had now four spotlights on him um yeah you know once or twice with the grandpa once when he was with the gang which is brought up they continuity they brought up the gang they, they did in. bring up the gang they certainly did yeah they, i'm surprised that they didn't bring up the teacher you know the inappropriate relationship that's true that's true that's true yeah definitely uh, but uh, I digress. That's all the notes I have here for this episode. I did not listen to the commentary for this episode. I unfortunately did not have the time to do two watches of this episode. So I will try and do that for the next one, um, and we will have to see. Because Kenneth Johnson did write and direct every single one of these uh, made-for-TV movies, which is pretty nice. 
Um, but uh, we'll uh, we'll get back to that. Uh, by the way, all of the bloopers um, that are on the the discs I have are on YouTube. I found out. So if you want to watch some Alien Nation bloopers, there's 20 minutes of it. Sweet. Yeah, so that could be fun to watch because sometimes they're fun. Sometimes you're just like. I'm not laughing. Uh, <laughs> uh, Supernatural has like 15 seasons worth of bloopers, and they're all pretty fun. <laughs> okay. Um, but I digress. That's all the notes I have. This is all the time we have. You Don't forget, you can find us on the Dead TV podcast on Facebook and on our individual Twitters at Christy, SAV, and Elegantly Kiki. Uh, Mr. Seneca has some mutant monster, atomic mutant monster mayhem going on right now. Mr. Seneca, did you happen to hear what the post credit scene is for Oppenheimer? Ha-ha-ha! post credit scene? No. What yeah. is the post credit scene? It's a preview for Godzilla. Get it? Because oh, nice. the atomic No, it's not. I'm totally making that up. Oh, because we dropped the atomic ew. bomb on, on Japan and awakened Godzilla. That's the whole point. Dr. Chris is, is referencing me and my partner, Jason, uh, and his brother built a 14-foot giant Godzilla statue for the Mahoning Drive-In for their Godzilla Palooza. So it's currently on the lot there, and people are still taking their pictures with it because it's a lovely tourist attraction. And there are... Uh, we're soon... Huh? No, go ahead. Go on. Sorry. Uh, we're soon going to be starting our Stranger Things installation year two. And that's at the Uptown Beer Garden here in Philadelphia. Um, you can see that. And then my parties are going strong once again. So I am extremely happy and grateful to everyone that joins me in my parties. Man, they're like the last one had 154 people. So, you know, next one will be in October. Looking forward to it. I am I'm a busy little bee. I'm uh I got I got I got I got completely distracted by um uh Top Cow uh was at uh San Diego Comic Con this weekend. We discussed uh Top Cow comic books extensively, the fact that we covered Witchblade the series here on the Dead TV podcast. Uh, another okay. cop drama. We seem to be doing a lot of those. And uh, their model for the Witchblade, Jacqueline Gonin, Go- Goner, uh, showed up. You might have uh, run into her at Dragon Con, Mr. Zeneca, as she dresses up in a basically metal bikini Witchblade costume and nothing else. Not a stitch of other clothing, usually, with this costume. It basically cups her breasts and then looks like a panty line for her crotch as well as high-heeled witchblade shoes with the witchblade gauntlet and that is all is on her body wow that's bravery yeah no she's got a fantastic looking figure i mean she looks she also does deja thoris who is uh the warlord of mars girl uh from john mm-hmm. carter uh usually he's got like little circle things on her nipples to cover them up because god forbid nipples are offensive um yeah. you know <laughs> this little this little disc covers up the nipple but the entire breast is still exposed I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. But neither do you, considering you're a woman, you have breasts, and you probably share my opinion about this. Yeah, yeah I, I, okay. I, I don't get it. Uh, okay. But um, a couple other points about Mr. Zeneca doing the Godzilla thing before uh, I get too much more distracted by amazing-looking Witchblade cosplayers. Godzilla Minus One was announced uh, coming out from Toho, uh, the first Godzilla movie since 2015 from Japan. And tying into Oppenheimer, the day after World War II ended and we stopped bombing Japan with atomic bombs and they surrendered, uh, Japan was at basically like a year zero kind of thing. They were at what they were, they call zero because their country had been destroyed um, by the ravages of well us and the war. And mm-hmm. then Godzilla shows up. So this movie takes place right after the World War II ends, and that's why it's called Minus One because they're no longer at zero; they're at minus one with Godzilla. 
And then in March, we have Godzilla X Kong, the new world coming out, which has Godzilla and King Kong teaming up once again to fight a new monster. All right, all right. But Keep the at, franchise going there. Yep, yeah. yep. Uh, so sequel to Godzilla vs. Kong, but this time they're not going to fight. They're going to team up versus a new villain, a simian gorilla-looking thing. Um, kind of like a, like a, looks like a giant orangutan kind of monster. And, uh, announced at San Diego Comic-Con, Mr. Zeneca, I know, is going to run out to the comic store and buy this because she's such a fan of these type of franchises. We have, not even kidding, the Justice League versus Godzilla versus King Kong. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Hot off the heels of Godzilla versus uh, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, we have the no. Justice League versus Godzilla. <laughs> I don't like the crossover. <laughs> so you're going to be able to take all your toys from your toy box and just mash them together in this storyline, which I'm sure will make complete sense. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Which version of the Justice League this will be, I don't know yet. By the way, the Justice League don't exist right now. The Justice League have decided not to reform after the last major crossover. So there is no Justice League in the current uh, being printed or in the actual continuity of DC Comics right now. So we will have to wait and see. There's been a couple different poster images that have come up. One looks very movie-style poster. One just looks like the typical comic book cover. Um it was just funny is that is there is a another crossover happening uh stranger things meets the teenage mutant ninja turtles yeah that's uh that's i don't even want to insult it but you know that's the words that i would go to <laughs> <laughs> um and uh yeah no that's this is uh this is this is what sells sometimes sometimes it works in movies and sometimes it doesn't i mean for, for every freddy versus jason there is there's an alien versus predator but speaking of predator there is wolverine versus the predator coming out later this year too but because the predator is now owned by disney and Fo you know fox owns the predator marvel comics are printing the predator comic books it was inevitable they would do this crossover yeah, so it's just they, a matter of time. Yeah, I mean, they did Batman versus the Predator, and that was two different companies, Dark Horse and, D and, and DC Comics. This is all under the Marvel Fox banner. Mm -hmm. So, I digress. We'll have to wait to see how it is. Uh, we'll, I'll probably give it a, <laughs> uh, a, a mention when we get to Superpowers. Or Powerless, yeah. sorry, Powerless. Powerless, Powerless. powerless. Uh, don't forget to also leave us a ratings on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and we'll be back in a couple weeks with the next yeah. exciting movie... Of the Alienation Saga, I believe it's called uh, The Enemy Within. Good night. Good night. Welcome to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated...